0: Hey, I'm Eric Tornberg, and welcome to another episode of Maker Stories, where we explore what makes the makers, what drives them, what they're scared of, how they make sense of the world, and everything in between. This week's episode is with Lisa New. Lisa is a Harvard professor of poetry and founder of nonprofit Poetry in America, with James to showcase poetry accessibility and relevance to everyday life. Involved in the project are people like Nas, Bill Clinton, and others who want to promote a love of poetry. We talk about the role of poetry in society different forms it's taken place whether in academia spoken word hip-hop We also talk about the business of poetry and much much more as a fan of poetry i highly enjoyed this episode if you want to learn more lisa's just released an online course on modernism and i'll put the link in the show notes all right here's lisa i
1: think of poetry as the original social media people you know the right. oral poets would sit yeah. in a stand before a fire right. and chant um and uh, so that's the that's our overall mission. The project includes a an online course uh, that's offered by Harvard X by through through EdX in which I trace the whole history of American poetry in a format that's more like documentary television than yeah. like a a professor standing at a mm-hmm. lectern. And yeah. so we we visit Walt Whitman's Brooklyn and T.S. Eliot's London. I um, offer reflections of my own, but I draw little seminars uh, on camera with me, sometimes, right. with, sometimes with experts, but very often with people on the street. Um, and I... Um, uh, and over the last few years, I've been lucky enough to uh, entice distinguished people from all walks of life to spend a half an hour with me sitting and, and reading a poem. Uh, and those kinds of readings we can talk about more are, are part of the online course. The um, The project also includes a television series mm-hmm. in development with WGBH mm-hmm. and um uh, celebrated producer David Grubin, who's made uh, wow. dozens of terrific documentaries, so it's really yeah. exciting to be co-producing this TV show, and and then a project that, as an educator, um, is really is really close to my heart, um, a uh, a big push to help. Teachers and their students nationwide and eventually worldwide to feel more comfortable, to challenge themselves, to read what the writers of the Common Core, whatever you yeah. think of the Common Core, call complex texts. How do we so how do we help students um, to navigate a text that may present some obscurity right. where some vocabulary may be Unfamiliar. Yeah. It's my um, it's my belief that poems are actually ideal um, ideal texts to use with students who may be intimidated uh, by reading. They're often they often have powerful emotional content. They're, they may be, they they may resist immediate interpretation, but they're short after all. You don't have to have done your homework. Right. Poems right there in front of you, and so I am um, creating courses for middle and high school teachers, especially, and content they can take into their classrooms that will um, help them all help, and help all of us become better readers.
0: Yeah, and what uh, what inspired this? Was there a moment where you said, "Hey, something like this needs to exist," or was this frustration with something? Or?
1: Um. What really happened is that um, online learning uh, and the opportunity to um, reach many, many more people than I do in my Harvard classroom, Um, you know, 2013, all of a sudden Harvard was offering me a class, the whole whole world as a classroom, and moreover, offering me the opportunity to see what I could do using video and using really great sound. Man. What would it be like if I could take the archival documents? Um, I'm a collector of archival documents. What, what would it be like if we could be showing, um, you know, the Harper's Magazine in yeah. which Longfellow's poem appeared or Emily Dickinson's manuscripts or when I, when I talked about Hart Crane's poem to Brooklyn Bridge. Here's a little few lines from it. Uh, It's very beautiful. So think about, hold Brooklyn Bridge in your mind, and the poet says, Oh, harp and altar of the fury fused, How could mere toil align my choiring strings? That's really elevated language that, I think when I recite it like that, most people say, Oh, yeah, God, the Brooklyn Bridge. It does look like a musical instrument. It's so beautiful. You you actually want language that feels like prayer, even mm-hmm. even as you're going about your 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 business. But to um, go back to what this you know media can do for us, when you hear those lines, you really do want a beautiful image, one of the great photographs of the bridge. Right. You really do want to be looking at it. And so um, when I uh, had the opportunity to just begin to experiment with, with, with great video, with great images, I realized that I could create learning experiences that, um, that, that really had reach and that the internet and that technology made it possible for the intimacy of poetry to be very, very widely experienced. I also realized as I was doing this, um, this work making a MOOC that we didn't quite have our audiences, st- we didn't quite know whom we were reaching and there might be ways for me to reach not only discretionary learners, because after all, most of the people who take a MOOC in poetry Are just doing it for their pleasure and their enlightenment, and you know they're they're not getting most of them are not getting a credential out of their MOOC that is going to. They may get a certificate, but the credential is not going to you know get them a new job. Right. Yes, I've completed this poetry course, but in fact, I realized there were there were people who needed credentials Mm -hmm. and and who needed to be teaching just this content. And who probably didn't know how, because poetry, the teaching of poetry, and the teaching of close reading, had really has really fallen um, by the by the wayside. And so, could I take content that I filmed, say, um, content on poetry of the city? Could I take that content and um, and craft it and shape it so that it really met the needs of teachers and uh, the students in their Mm -hmm. classrooms and there this this material that I've been working on for a a worldwide audience of discretionary learners could actually help to narrow the achievement gap could actually help to give teachers tools that they've been asking for and so the first of these courses for teachers, called Poetry of the City, is uh, within we say coming soon. It's in within a few months of launching, and that I mean that course in some way realizes all of my right. or synthesizes so many of my hopes. I'll just give you a, an example yeah, of some things I love about it. Well, um, luck. I it's by a stroke of amazing good fortune I was able to meet and befriend Nas, hip-hop artist Nas. Uh, we met at Harvard um, and I had about a half an hour with Nas and we sat together talking about his art, which I admire tremendously, I think he's an, he's an extraordinary poet as well as performer. Um, I admire his art, and I was telling him some of the reasons why, and I brought him some classic poetry of urban American life, including Walt Whitman. Mm-hmm. And We opened up the Walt Whitman together, and he, I said, well, why don't you just read some? And he began to read to me, and he looks up after two, li- two lines, and he goes, he's got it going on. <laughs> and And we began to sit and interpret the Whitman together. And he said, this was really, I really like this. Can we do this again? And I said, well, of course, of course we can do this again. And in fact, I think it would be really great for uh, students and teachers if uh, you and I became co-interpreters of Whitman and this could anchor a whole course on the Poetry of the mm-hmm. City, and so this course, Poetry of the City, uh, beginning with the greatest of poets, Walt Whitman, whom anyone yeah. can come to love, but very few students actually study, this this course um, uh, returns week after week to a conversation I have with Naz, and also with a wonderful teacher from L.A.U.S.D. named Tariq Smith. So Tariq joins the conversation with Naz, and we um, uh, and and we work on these poems together. This yeah. this poetry of the city course will also um, uh, it will take us deeply into Whitman's Brooklyn yeah. and Whitman's Lower Manhattan filmed on location in all of those places uh, but the second part of the course will will bring us to San Francisco uh, and for um, our yeah. obligatory um, and delightful um, experience of the beats uh, and to Chicago and take us into the explosion of poetry we're seeing now in the 21st century with slam yeah. and spoken word um mm-hmm. and of course with hip-hop
0: yeah uh, so you're hitting on some big topics for me one because i before this i was working for nas and and uh, his manager anthony salai anthony salai yeah, yes at uh their venture capital firm queensbridge wow uh, and so i was a huge fan so before that i had a sort of a rap tech company and have been very interested in slam and uh, spoken word in in what ways uh, is there any element of like HBO Def Jam poetry that will be in in poetry in America or or sort of just the spoken word slam scene in general?
1: Well I would love recommendations Yeah 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 perfect (laughs) We are and something that I um, am really delighted to discover is that there's so much me to learn Um, I am a I'm trained as a you know a scholar of classic American poetry and I love that tradition Um, this project has allowed me to you know learn a lot about contemporary writing Um, and I would say that I'm a beginner (laughs) Um, I had um, but I have some great I have some great teachers the uh, the winner of the uh, uh, slam Poetry National Slam Poetry competition of 2014 Clint Smith mm-hmm. um, read with me a few weeks ago um, uh, recited some of his work Do we say recited yeah. in uh, Slam Yeah, yeah. yeah. performed yeah. some of his work and also came uh, and also discussed County Cullen the Harlem Renaissance Whoa. Poet with me and making those connections, yeah. which is—I mean, these are such important connections for Nas, who knows yeah. that that his music has its roots in, in right. jazz and in R and B, and you know that there's a whole tradition trying to um, trying to uh, offer learners a the, the the full pleasure of discovering right. a tradition, which means. There's always more mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> yeah absolutely um, in your in sort of an ideal world where poetry America achieves you know everything you want it to achieve uh, what will you have accomplished
1: I, I will have put poetry as art form mm-hmm. uh, in um, mm-hmm. in the public sphere right. in a way that it isn't right <laughs> now where I will have and I will have helped the larger yeah. poetry community um, by making clear to people who don't read poetry, who don't think of poetry as an art form that they can enjoy, making clear to them that it's really, um, that, they, that they can. Right. I mean, it's a, You know, one can uh, go, on the, go on one's smartphone, the Poetry Foundation has an app, Right. That um, will give you a poem for every occasion and every place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the um, sort of refreshing intellectual um, exercise, but also the sort of mindfulness right. <laughs> um, possibilities of just dwelling in exquisitely crafted language that that speaks to something you yourself are experiencing, whether right. it is looking at the Brooklyn Bridge or suffering a breakup or playing basketball or playing soccer right. or that that there is there is poetry for all of this. Um, and I'd really like to be reaching all generations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think of myself as... Um, addressing, really addressing this work to, to audience, to, to really neglected communities of learners. On the one hand, these teachers and kids in schools who often think of, you know, English language arts is what you do so that you can pass a test and prove you, right. you comprehend rather than um, a place where you grow skilled and confident mm-hmm. at making at making meaning and at at understanding your world Um, and and to say that I want to reach those teachers and those students, that also means those parents, the parents of those children who are not on on the the handouts that come home or whatever comes home now on the iPad, Mm -hmm. Uh, they're not seeing their children engage in these exercises of meaning making and not having the opportunity to do that with them. Mm-hmm. To say, and I'll give you a, a, a line from a poem. Line from a poem I really love by Ed Hirsch, and this poem will actually um, be one a television episode is based on. So the poem is uh, called "Fast Break," and it's about the play a fast break in a in a basketball game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's it's a very beautiful poem. It's also an elegy for. A, uh, a friend, the poet, once played basketball. He was in a pickup adult yeah. basketball team, and his friend died. Uh, and so this this poem is about the love of players for right. each other, what it feels like on a team, and it's very tender. You know, it's it's about it's just about the sport. the the all, The whole lexicon is full of hook shots, and uh, but it's. Um, Uh, But it's it's very, very tender. In any case, so the first line of the poem is this. The hook shot kisses the rim. Hmm. The hook shot kisses the rim. Now, kisses, that's figurative language, Mm -hmm. right? It's exactly right for what it means for the hook. You know, there's that lingering touch. It expresses how sweet it feels mm-hmm. to yeah. get but it also introduces us in an amazing way to how this poem is about love right you know it's about and it's about love of the sport and love of yeah. human beings and so if if i have if i am able to make it possible for kids in classrooms who love the game to just be stopping over that line, the hook shot kisses the rim, yeah. and to be curious and to learn that that kisses is a is a cue that in itself will help you understand right. the whole poem, even yeah. though it's written in couplets. That's mm. enough. Yeah. Um, so that's one that's one set of audience, and and I'm thinking a lot about the things people love to do about right. basketball, about football, yeah. about. About skateboarding, about the instruments they play, about the music they listen, I mean, what are the right. things we love, and how can we understand that language is a resource for yeah. us to, to enhance our, our love of of, what we, of the things we do anyway. And on the other side, uh, and this is the other side of college, there are the hungry lifelong learners and that phrase tends to refer to the hungriest and those are people from 70 you Mm -hmm. know who are 60 to 80 and they are 60 to 100 actually I've got you know dozens and dozens and dozens of them online all Mm -hmm. talking to each other that's when people you know really really want to learn when they are that's when they are they when meaning making Matters to them, and I, and and when they de- when they're sick, mm-hmm. and when they're dying, um, meaning making becomes that much more important. But I have discovered um, by teaching online that the college students whom I whom I meet every day. Um, are often pretty distracted yeah. and they have their, their like they're falling in love they're right. breaking up, <laughs> they've got extracurriculars, they're building their careers and these are all the, they're the right yeah. things for them to be doing, yeah. it's all yeah. just fine they're not fully focused <laughs> on what I am teaching them and I, I get I, really? I wasn't fully focused either yeah. and, and I think that developmentally we have, we're a little bit mixed up this whole institution of college Mm -hmm. where they're supposed to be building their careers and finding their life partners or discovering they don't want, and also mastering all this content. Maybe what we, you know, it's not like I don't think there's any value in it, but when they get to be 35 or 40 and they've landed somewhere, that's when their curiosity actually starts to awaken again. And I was really surprised when I started making online courses that fully a third of the people studying with me were right. in their 30s and 40s. And really? Are you really? That's, yeah. I, I was, I, I'm surprised by that. And it, and it really is something like, you know, there are actually lots of kids and homeschoolers. and I mean, I have students who are as young as eight. And it's right. old and over a hundred, um, but it really is the case that at all of the and very few college students who are you know they're they're busy and so I'm really interested in beginning to um, help people understand that learning really is lifelong right. and that the and that to add a little more that we don't only learn in a course mm-hmm. you know you don't have to start on week one and end at week 15 in order right. to have had a successful learning experience and the the when criticisms of MOOCs um, began to kind of bubble up mm-hmm. in the cultural there was all this criticism people don't finish these yeah. courses and I, and 97%, I, so. it seemed like a silly it seems like a silly criterion to me if you take a course for discretionary reasons it's sort of like the restaurant you choose. You don't go to the yeah. same restaurant every. Right. Day. You go because you want to, because it's a rewarding place for you to go. Right. Uh, and so, if I can teach, if, if I I have a course that's launching right now on April eighth on modernism, and it's eight weeks of content on modernism, and it includes T. S. Eliot, and includes Robert Frost, and includes, uh, you know wild and crazy Edna St. Vincent Millay who really was wild and crazy <laughs> even though her name was Edna which is hard to uh, she called herself Vincent I can absolutely understand that if I were taking this in a discretionary way I doubt I would do the whole course right. I, would, I would say oh, I'm kind of interested in Edna St. Vincent Millay I'll wait for that Yeah. That'll, or oh, i find myself at home with a cup of coffee on a Sunday morning I think I'd like to, I, I know this is a place I can go to have a learning experience. I'll go, I'll go do it, and oh, maybe I'll pop in again. And that, the especially for people who are learning for their own enrichment, that is a much more sensible right. expectation than to think that they failed if they haven't finished yeah. the course.
0: Same with, the, to continue the restaurant analogy, if you don't finish every crumb on your plate, it doesn't mean <laughs> not, you know, that's right. you don't if, love the restaurant. If you
1: don't, that's, a, I thank you for that, <laughs> for continuing the metaphor. We would call that a conceit, actually. Right. Um, yeah, right. if you don't, you don't have to finish every crumb on right. your plate.
0: Yeah. Um, and to that end, of, well, one, I just want to echo. I also, I believe, there's a huge opportunity in adult education, just in general. Um, yes. Even I see among you know among the elite of San Francisco who sort of done well in um, in technology, and maybe have sacrificed, and maybe they didn't go to college, or maybe they sacrificed some of that. So now they're far more curious and they also have more time yes (laughs) you know it's like what do they do now oh
1: I know and I um, (laughs) I come out to Silicon Valley and Mm. find um, you know all sorts of people who surprise me Mm -hmm. uh, by being um, you know incredibly successful in tech and who also also love poetry or willing to teach me something or Mm. to help me in one way or another right Um,
0: Um, so I mean, when you talk about what uh, you know, ways to reach youth, and you talk about sports, and I mean, one way you're obviously doing it the right way is by working with Nas. You know, rap is such a um, huge, uh, you know, like cultural it phenomenon, is. especially for for young people of all you know all backgrounds, and it's and,
1: about, and it's so old fashioned. Right, mean, it's, it's sort of back to oral culture. Yeah, it's 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 like. Um,
0: it's bizarre that someone could say, "I love rap, but don't get poetry." You know, it's like, yeah. rap is poetry. and It just to a beat in the background. It,
1: it is. It absolutely is.
0: Um, and so, I mean, how do you, how do you, how do you make sense of that? Or when you, when someone says that to you, or when when you talk, what that I
1: like rap, but I don't like poetry. Yeah, or, yeah.
0: Or when I, I feel like that's a common, or, or not that I don't like poetry. I just don't get it, or it doesn't have spoken to them in the same way. And
1: I think it's it's been badly taught. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that the what what the the exuberance of the of this oral culture that surrounds hip hop right reminds us of is the is that human beings um like to like rhythmic language right. um that they enjoy it that they that i mean rap is is not all rap, but lots of it is distinguished for its for the complexity of right. its rhyme and rhyme and we love rhyme. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Children yeah. love rhyme. Rhyme fell out of fashion in 20th century poetry. It came to seem contrived, but the delight yeah. in good and clever, um, unexpected rhyme that freshens the language and that also allows us. To experience the musicality yeah. of language is so powerful. And so and and hip-hop is full of wonderful figurative language as well as of um, mysterious. You know, yeah. some of the fun is mysterious language that that asks you the question: are you the in-group or the out-group? Right. You know, do you belong or not? And, the pleasure of decoding Mm -hmm. that is complete, you know, and and it's the same pleasure we have in slang when we invent new, like you know, LOL or uh, I love the pillows here (laughs) LOL or OMG I mean, the the reason we like using these acronyms now is the same is the same reason we 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 like poetry if we right. like it. It's that something is that is that we're we human animals right. are our distinctive faculty is our linguistic one, yeah. and um, and we always want to be as um, you know as the modernists said we always want to be making it new. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that poetry um, is badly taught. It's been made into this thing that you do in school, lots of teachers feel uncomfortable with it. And so what they say is, well, what's the deeper meaning? Right. And you're like, oh God, I'm surely not yeah. adequate to that. <laughs> what's the deeper meaning? What's the meaning underneath the words? Right. Instead of, uh, you know, as we do with all other art forms, we right. encounter them in a less invasive and yeah. frontal um, way, so I, I mean I really believe in and this project has now taught me i have I have had one on one conversations now with dozens of people about you know some very famous, some very and but usually famous for something else, dozens of people about a poem, and two I mean th- there's scarcely one I can remember who didn't at the end of our conversation say that was so much fun yeah that was like right. that was so much fun because it's you know it's also like sometimes the best conversations one has with people are when it's about something right. rather than You know, it's better to go to a museum on a date or something on Mm -hmm. a date. Mm -hmm. They'll often say, go to the zoo. Right. Right. Instead of just saying, oh, so what do you do? What do you like? Who did you break up with?
0: Right. You know,
1: the intimacy that um, becomes possible when two people have decided to look at the same thing and spend some time on it um, is really remarkable. Mm -hmm. And they... and. One finds that you sharpen each other's wits and suggest, and there's just this conversational flow that occurs. You're like, wow, that was really fun. Mm -hmm. That was re, and, and so I'm, this, this project of mine is an attempt to put on, you know, online, on TV, in short form, um, journalism, the, this is this is really what it is right. to experience a poem. It's not to have this this block of print yeah. <laughs> with four multiple choice questions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know, challenging you to find to deeper say deeper. something or to say something really profound. Like there's this awful expectation that whatever a poem is really saying <laughs> must be some very deep, profound mm-hmm. cliche usually a yeah. cliche like, Everyone's the same, or you yeah. know, we should all love each other, or right. nature is beautiful, or you know, really. um, there's that that expectation that we should be extracting a moral, and improving gist. Right. Uh, is limiting. Yeah,
0: yeah. there's this uh, one quote. I think it's by Mary Oliver. Is something like, um, "Everyone asks what it means, but instead of asking like how it makes them feel, or you know, they yeah. ask how, yeah. how do I feel." Yeah,
1: and there's a Um, there's a wonderful poem by Billy Collins um, where he describes the poem um, tied to a chair and beaten with a hose in order to confess its meaning. (laughs) And he says, you know, I don't really, the poem's really not like that. It's really like the guy on the... The guy on water skis who goes by you and goes, hey! You know, it's not, um, it's not, it's not supposed to be torture. And most poems really, good poems really aren't torture. They're just, and you don't even, you know, I'm a big fan of poetry in one's peripheral vision. Yeah. Which means you can just be alive. It yeah. could just be the hookshot kisses the rim mm-hmm. that you walk around with. Yeah. And not or or I mean, okay, so here's a whole stanza. Uh, this is Emily Dickinson. So I know, she's a nineteenth century mm-hmm. poet. That yeah. seems scary. But listen and, and I'm in yeah. I'm in the Bay Area, so this may not this right. weather reference yeah. may not work for you, <laughs> but I assume there are others out there listening. So here's here's a stanza of Dickinson. There's a certain slant of light winter afternoons, that oppresses like the heft of cathedral tunes. Now, I walk around, I live in Boston, the afternoons in February, they just come, they just come slamming in like thunderous chords on a church organ, and they do something, the quality of that light does something to you, and when that light at four o'clock comes slamming in, those lines, you know, just, just that. I don't remember the rest of the, I, I couldn't recite, well, I, I can recite yeah. <laughs> the rest of the poem, but I, and, and the Brooklyn Bridge, I mean, there, if you just walk around with one line yeah. of that hard crane, or I'll give you one more example. Um, oh, unfortunately, this is again a New England example. It is where I live, um, Robert Frost has a poem that begins, Nature's first green is gold, the hardest hue to hold. Well, in when those leaves first come out, the teeny weeny weeny little tender leaves first come out on the trees, it's like they don't even have all their chlorophyll or something. They're like they're gold. Yeah. And they come out and the day they come out, and it is the first green is. Cool, and I just like having those lines, right. and I say them to my children. You know, my children say, "Oh, we know nature's first green is gold, the hardest you to hold," mm-hmm. and it's fun to yeah, share
0: that. Absolutely. Was there ever a time, or or when was the time where poetry was sort of as part of popular culture as sort of hip hop is today?
1: In the nineteenth century, 19th century. Um, and
0: when did it stop being that way?
1: Um,
0: just gradually, or it,
1: no? I think modernism. <laughs> I'm about to launch this. A whole big course on modernism. And modernism is a fantastic, fascinating movement. But modernist poets were, were many of them, they were mad at the bourgeoisie. Right. And they were mad at the idea that poetry should be f- for families. Mm-hmm. You know, but in the 19th century, um, there wasn't a lot to do in the evening, <laughs> Think about it. If you didn't have electric light and you were burning expensive whale oil or right. something in your lamps and you weren't really ready to go to bed, well, what you would do is you would gather around the fire with the family or with your sewing circle or with your drinking buddies and often people would read out of a magazine like the Atlantic Monthly. And you know, if if you're if you don't have you know, Netflix. Right. <laughs> and you stop going to church. Yeah. You really are, your imagination is hungry. And so the periodicals, especially if you were out on the prairie somewhere, mm-hmm. the periodicals you would get were really your evening entertainment. And you would read the fiction and you would read the poetry and, um, and people would memorize poetry. In the late, later part of the 19th century the recitation of poetry became just standard in, in schools and when you in fact and and remain standard into the early decades of the of the 20th century and if you talk to someone older i've i've had a few conversations with conversations with senators and uh mm-hmm. john mccain and i yeah. uh, had a conversation about poetry and he said he memorized um, poetry wow. in school. And um, um, mm. Senator Simpson, I once, he, he started, I sat next <laughs> to Senator Simpson, and he starts reciting Longfellow to me. And yeah, people, just as people do in slam poetry, you'd get up on the platform yeah. and you would recite your poem. Mm. I think it was, it, was a, it was a great thing for kids to do. It gave them, you know, Stage presence and confidence and performance and was a a mental a mental exercise yeah. as well. So what what actually happened was that um, with the birth of modernism, modernist poems said, "We're not about the home and family. Yeah. We're about we are ancient." <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: I mean, modernism modernism is a youth movement, mm-hmm. and it's it's you know it's a poetry much modernist poetry is difficult it's difficult and it's rebellious and it's not for broad right. <laughs> it, you know it's sort of not for broad um, consumption and modernism was uh, embraced by academia uh, just the idea of a hard poem that would take a whole class hour to read
0: right let's you know <laughs> yeah. let's
1: so let's, fit, let's treat poetry not as a public art or something that can be in your peripheral vision, but as a very, very serious business, academic business on which we can do, you know, the, where we can do research mm-hmm. on it too. And there's much good that has come of that. There's been interesting research done on poetry. But by taking this public art form and turning it into a highly specialized academic subject we've lost a lot of its juice and I'm trying to put you know reminder the juice is still there
0: yeah I mean it's interesting because you know just to exaggerate for a second you know we don't teach rap in schools or hip hop in schools and yet it's incredibly popular and we teach poetry in schools and
1: we don't teach that much poetry either oh we don't so (laughs) no
0: no we don't
1: but rap I mean I will be teaching um, or no, that would be that would that would be silly. Part of your Since course will be rad. I don't need I don't need to be teaching right. hip hop. I will bring practitioners right. into my project who will teach me.
0: Yeah, um, awesome.
1: And I and as Nas has been yep. teaching me, and um, I'm I'm uh, having a conversation with the current Nas fellow. At the Hip Hop Archive uh, at Harvard, we're scheduled to have mm-hmm. a conversation that will become part of this part of this project. Um, and really, it's going to be Hip Hop 101 for me. Right. I, I actually yeah. know some of it, yeah. but assuming that others would benefit yeah. from um, from learning about it as an yeah. art form, he will. He will teach me and will will capture some of the riches in the hip hop archives. That's well. fascinating.
0: One thing I'm just sort of thinking out loud and I don't have a you know, I don't know what the answer is to this, but is part of uh, the reason why hip hop is so popular is because it is an industry. It is a way that, you know, art rappers make a living, uh, or aspire to make a living, and so they're very familiar with all sort of like, you know, social media, like sort of tools to reach the people today and there's whole ecosystem there's record labels there's magazines I mean, there's a whole real ecosystem around it that's for poets trying to make a living today um, there doesn't seem to there certainly isn't to the extent oh, yeah that there is rap. and you know does that have to exist um, you know real way for poets to make a living for, so people can what do you think about that
1: that's a that's an interesting question um, and I'm, I'm probably not the um, I'm probably not the person to ask. Um, I, I mean, it's the it's the ecosystem of the music industry, yes. right, and of mass culture, yeah. um, that supports, as, yeah. as well as an ethos within hip hop of social mobility yeah. and advance that I think right. is a, a really powerful part of yeah. hip hop culture, um, that and a success ethos that I, I think is, um, is really really important um, I think if you asked most practicing poets today, you know, would you like a poetry label <laughs> you know, um, I don't know some, some might say yes right. um, I, th- I think that many like, like teach, I mean the infrastructure yeah. that poets have uh, is that many of them teach right. and they become uh, although we have a poet who just did Hamilton on Broadway, yeah. amazing poet right. who just did Hamilton on Broadway right. which opens the world but Kendrick yeah. Lamar I right. mean, you know people are our world is is being broken wide open I, that said this is not just a perform. it's not just a performance art it's right. actually a form of, um, of intellectual self-help mm-hmm. and of, mm-hmm. of soul-making yeah. and I think that lots of poets I talk to even though the, the, their, their downsides, and I've said some of them, to the academicization right. of mm-hmm. poetry you know the, the, to put poetry in the university yeah. has costs. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, lots of poets get jobs in universities right. to pay the bills, or in prep schools. I know poets yeah. who are who are, and actually now in content creation. I mean, there's right. there's so much poetry, and this is another thing I'm just learning about. So much poetry, and so many poets out in you know right. out in the world of tech mm-hmm. um, yeah. I, I have a, a remarkable number of people I've worked with mm-hmm. you know they'll say they'll be making my website and they'll say oh I'm a poet yeah you know, that's this is what and I love and I love doing this work because it really is about composition yeah and storytelling and often about distilled storytelling so yeah so I'm not, I'm not sure that we need poets to have poetry labels right um, and um, but who knows yep. I mean I think we're in a really fertile transitional moment mm-hmm. um, that um, that I I feel really privileged to be part of yeah. and, uh, and I love having a front row seat on it
0: yeah absolutely um, cool so I want to sensitive to your time this has been a uh, fantastic chat uh, just sort of last minute, you know. For people listening who are fascinated about your work and want to, whether they're experienced with poetry or they want to get into it, mm-hmm. where can they you know, learn more? You mentioned April eighth is is your next. Class. April
1: eighth is the launch of part six mm-hmm. of the Poetry in America um, massive open online course, uh, and uh, I think someone listeners yep. who wanted to explore should. Uh, t- should go to EdX, or just type "poetry yeah. in America modernism" or "my name Elisa New" into Google, and you will uh, you will find it. Or maybe you guys will yep, yep, so make we'll the link we'll available. But also coming very soon, poetry of the city for middle and high school teachers and mm-hmm. and their students. And Soon after that, uh, poetry of earth, sea, and sky on poetry of the environment, mm-hmm. as well as poetry of art, sport, and play. Wow! Um, all courses we're making for um, for teachers.
0: Perfect. So you see, and my TV series. Yes,
1: that will uh, we hope air late in 2017.
0: So poetry in America, and you know, when you think about the different uh, ways in which you reach people, it's it's a TV show, it's. Courses. It's online content.
1: Online content and my website, which is about to launch. Perfect. Uh, but hasn't uh, hasn't and all of my content will be um, awesome. will be.
0: Well, when it does, there. we'll make sure to promote that. Thank too. you so much. Thank you for being here with us.
1: Thank you very much. Aaron.